Boom shagalaka, ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters around the world. It is your boy Chris Jewell, the one and only, the chocolate Nubian soul brother from down under here in Melbourne, Australia, originally from Ghana, West Africa, dropping the wisdomatic truth bombs. Be sure to like this video, subscribe, click on the bell, tell your friends, tell your mom, tell the momos. You know what it is. Ladies and gentlemen, first of all, first of all I want to thank everyone for, for, for sharing this, for sharing my podcast, for sending reviews, and for supporting me on the Patreon. You guys are absolutely amazing. I appreciate you guys dearly. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to go deep into the world of consciousness, into the world of therapy. I got my friend Adam Duque. Adam is a businessman. He is an entrepreneur. I call him an entrepreneur, actually. This guy's got his hands in many different things. He's very, very philanthropic. He has launched a new organization called Inner Help, where it's all about helping people, not necessarily with, uh, with medications like Big Pharma and all of the, the, the drugs that we're seeing out in the world, but essentially getting to the core of, of assisting yourself, which is all about the inner work which is what the crystal journey is all about getting into the not just the science but the spiritual side of things but anyway adam duque is going to uh, tell you guys a bit more about himself about himself more about <clears throat> inner health what the organization is about and we're going to have a deep conversation in regards to therapy in regards to overcoming a lot of the trauma th that we we have had over the years and yeah take this where wherever the conversation takes us so without Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, introducing my friend Adam Duque, my brother. How you doing? Good, man. Good. Thanks, Krishal. Hi, everyone. Okay, so basically, the the topic to me is more around addiction and how society's got it really wrong. So the mainstream solution to addiction is to focus on the on the problem or the symptom, let's say. So don't do that, and these are the problems that'll occur in your life if you do do that. And so you know, just to give everyone a bit of background, I, um, as Chris will mention, I'm a businessman by part-time, you could say, these days. Um, and the other part-time Very successful, man, I am. Super successful. Thank you. Thank you. But, but basically, the other half of my time is, is within a help. And the reason why I started the organization was particularly because of my own challenges with addiction. You know, I struggled for, for decades under the radar, you could say, you know, as a way of coping with a lot of trauma you know and that trauma you know it started in childhood and I, I had no idea about this at the time and I'd been sort of medicating you could say self-medicating for years and years started when I was around 12 with marijuana and that was really the first I guess introduction to something that I could use to to numb how I was feeling and <clears throat> that, that eventuated on to alcohol uh, a dabble with LSD um, ecstasy became a big thing in my late teens, early 20s. And then there was a switch back to alcohol that was socially acceptable. And, you know, you got to remember, I was, I was building a business at the time, which I grew to 223 staff, manufacturing plastic cards, smart cards. We did the Medicare card and driver's license for many countries and things like that around the world. And so there's a lot of pressure. So you got to understand that not having a strong sort of foundation emotionally and internally um, you know I was identifying and building my self-esteem around my business growing up that was society's ideal I saw as a way to you know to, to, to be proud of myself and so this really let's call it a, a rocky foundation that I was building this big business on and then eventually a family you know it it, it wasn't it wasn't what I was going to need to, to take me through life and to um, and to handle all the new things that life would throw at me and so just to give a bit more background I, I had an older brother who also got into marijuana and was diagnosed with a ADHD as a um, early teen and so he escalated on to speed and heroin and things like that which ended in his suicide when I was about 20 and then a year and a half later my younger brother died as a passenger in a car accident a drink driving accident so you know, with this sort of poorly built foundation on how to deal with things that happen in life, you know, I, I lent when those two incidents, those very traumatic incidents happened, I, I lent further into alcohol and drugs as a way of coping. And, you know, I'm not alone. I'm not, I'm not sort of feeling sorry for myself or anything like that. But I'm trying to get across to everyone that 
life throws stuff at us and unless we've got really sort of robust tools, resources and healthy coping mechanisms, we tend to look outside of ourselves for solutions. And so for me, that was, like I said, drugs, alcohol. Um, it was also through, let's say, to some extent, addiction to work. You know, I threw myself into work. And the tricky thing about that is I, I became successful. So it didn't teach me that that was the wrong way to cope. It, it, it taught me that, yeah, you can find more things outside of yourself to, to cope, you know, when, when you're feeling low and, and unable to meet your emotional needs. And this is a really important thing. Growing up, a lot of people don't know how to meet their own needs. And it's not to blame their parents and their upbringing, you know, because usually when a parent is unable to meet the needs of their child, it's because their needs also weren't met. And so I talk a lot about ensuring that there's no blame passed back. This is critical. Sure. Yeah. So for years, I, I blame my parents for, you know, theoretically not preparing me for a lot of the stuff. And I didn't, I didn't articulate it like that, but that's where a lot of the resentment came from. Mm -hmm. um, I later discovered and so basically we're not prepared for meeting our own needs and what happens is we then look outside of ourselves, as i was saying and so you know as my life got more and more complicated i um, i went to relationships that was my next addiction you could say mm -hmm. and so basically expecting someone else to meet your needs and it's quite common and it's very much under the radar um, you know, people are coping with alcohol, drugs, and toxic relationships that don't serve the other person or themselves. And so, you know, I was putting all of my effort into somehow meeting my needs through all these activities, behaviors, substances outside of myself. And that basically hit top speed when I had a $30,000 a month cocaine addiction. So yeah, it's had to build up to that just just so the audience can that, kind of see the background. You don't want to just drop. Yeah, that gives that the audience of, a bit of context here. I mean, yeah. I think most people having a thirty thousand dollar debt would be somewhat concerning for them, you know. But when yeah. you have an addiction uh, that is requiring you to essentially uh, destroy your financial life, I mean, obviously you could afford it, but I'm 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 guessing that at some point it reaches a level where it's not sustainable because I know there, there are a lot of drug addicts out there that say that they have things under control in terms of how they can afford the addiction, that they're not taking too much. But I would imagine, and you having had more experience than me, please let me know if this is not correct, but I'd imagine it becomes more difficult in order to satiate your addiction each time that you delve deeper into it. So you need more in order to get the same effect. And as a result, you eventually have to spend more money and you reach a point where it's not sustainable. W would that be accurate? Yeah, look, Yes, it's accurate that it's mm. not sustainable. And for, for most people who can't afford to, to fund their, let's call it an addiction, mm -hmm. you know, they turn to crime and all sorts of other, mm. um, let's say, unsavory activities. Sure. And I was fortunate on one hand to... You didn't have to turn to crime. Didn't have to turn it. to crime or anything like that, uh, nor would I. I've got a strong moral compass, moral sure. compass around that sort of stuff. Um, I've always worked hard in my own businesses and things like that. Um, but at the same time, for me, what was unsustainable was the, the, I guess the stress on my body, my you know emotional aspect sure. of things, and so and, and not to mention physical, you know, not mm -hmm. sleeping sometimes five to seven days at a time, you know, it, it it's taxing as you can imagine, and so for me, I knew it was a temporary solution mm -hmm. but at the same time it was getting worse and worse sure you know when i look at the first time i smoked weed and i'm i'm not saying weed and things like this are outright the end of the world bad because mm -hmm. i know some people get a lot of i guess benefits out of them particularly people mm -hmm. suffering from terminal illnesses and all sorts of stuff so sure. i don't believe in a blanket statement on that i'm not saying that there's any benefits of cocaine uh you know i'm pretty sure we can agree that well, I don't know. It's a, it's a this, is, this is coming from someone that has no someone, experience. With, someone hasn't like, even do, drunk yeah, alcohol. Do, do, yeah. do, do, do you, apparently, you get a lot of work done here. Yeah, look, that's it, that's a bit of a myth. It's you, a myth? It actually it actually detracts from your executive function. So mm -hmm. you can't really concentrate. You can, you can stay up long periods of time. You can numb your emotions. You can numb the sort of stuff that you've been suppressing. You can push that down and not feel. Yeah. And that's what it was for me. You know, I had my first marriage when that ended in 2008. 
I didn't turn to cocaine at that stage. I was living in China, running my company, and mm -hmm. it was more alcohol. And so I was using alcohol at that point in time to to kill off those feelings, you know, and sure. to just get through the, you know, I wasn't drinking all day or anything like that. But but certainly by the end of the day, I'd need to have a drink. Sure, you know. Whereas you were using these substances in order to manage stress issues that you were dealing with, yeah. do you feel that there was ever a point where, because your environment, because you're in such a stressful, high-performing lifestyle, you were yeah. obviously working a lot of hours, do you feel that you needed some of these drugs in order to, to meet those goals? Because there are definitely some people that feel, I've heard this uttered many times, right, that the kind of work that they do uh, it's so stressful that they need these substances in order to manage it. Whether or not that's true, that's up a discussion, but they definitely feel that. And there are certain, I know for a fact that there are certain sports like the Tour de France where there's this running joke that it's, it's actually dangerous to do the Tour de France without any kind of substances because yeah. it requires you to really perform. So I guess the question is to you, was there ever an element of you feeling like you needed to do this in order to achieve the goals that you wanted other than just coping with stresses that have been created from trauma that have been passed down from family? Perfect question. And the answer is absolutely. And it's, 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 I, I need to give you a, a larger answer sure. than just the question you of course posed, if that's okay. So root cause therapy and why it, to me is one of the, the, the key modalities that can help people suffering from addiction. And, and remember, addiction is not just drugs, alcohol, it's relationships, it's gambling, it's sex, it's all these sort of different things. And so work is, is the key one that we're talking about just here. And so with, with, I guess, addiction to success and work and things like that, yeah, you will push yourself beyond healthy limits of stress. And so then you need something else to swing yourself back. And because you don't know how to self-regulate your autonomic nervous system, mm -hmm. you know, you're using the work addiction, let's say, to obviously feel better inside. There's, a, there's an emptiness. So there's, there's a void that we're trying to fill by doing all these things outside of ourselves, right? Sure. And so when one fails, you lean on another. And so absolutely relationships, work, pressures, Everything is all part of the root cause, the underlying issue of an addiction. And so within a help, and that's why I think we, as an alternative modality, are really an ideal solution compared to mainstream solutions of treatment, mm -hmm. which just focus on the symptoms and just focus on, on don't do it, you know? And I, I understand where they're coming from. And yes, you do need to stop in order to properly heal. But, um, but looking at the root cause issue, you could identify triggers you know, and you could basically trace back if you go deep enough and you do the right healing, the inner work, you know, you, you'll, you'll trace back and you'll see that there's this work addiction. There's, there's, there's the substance, there's relationship, you know, all, all these sort of things, but underneath all of those again mm. are the root issues. Sure. And so once you address those root issues and you properly heal, you know, mm. then you don't have the, the need to be this, amazing successful hero or whatever you want to call it you don't need to then balance that up with alcohol or, or, or drugs absolutely yeah. but but just to add to that mm -hmm. basically you know the result and the let's call it the collateral damage of addiction is is the accrued mess that it creates in people's lives which then adds even more weight on the shoulders of that person who's struggling if that makes sense yeah. Absolutely, and so yeah. then, you know, like, for example, in my situation, you want more success, success yeah. breeds more success, which requires you to do more and more. It's why athletes that have won, you know, a, a competition 10 times, they, they've never used drugs before. Then to win it again, you, they end up using drugs because they feel there's more pressure for them. Feel to like, maintain they feel like they need it. And I, and I got to that point in my that life, status, yeah. you know, where I had so much that I'd created Didn't to, to sort of fill the void inside me to, to make me feel enough, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it, it was it was not until I'd sold my my company, Card Pro, in about 2015, 14 actually. And, you know, I had more money in the bank than I'd ever had. I had, you know, amazing house, beautiful wife, four kids, all of that. I, I was really very lucky. Sure. And still am, don't get me wrong. Yeah. But I felt the lowest Mm. after that you know because i'd achieved all these things that i thought were going to fill those voids but they didn't and and so that's when 
I then had to maintain all that I'd built up, if that makes sense. Mm. I had to maintain that image. And that was a burden in itself that was too hard for me to carry without the use of drugs. Sure. It's so, yeah. it's so rewarding to hear someone like you share something like that because there are many of us, including myself, that haven't attained, let's say, success in that area, like financially, right, yeah. that want that so much. And you become so devoted to that, missing the point that unless, of course, you were happy within, like you've dealt with the root courses, courses you're not going to be happy. Another example is Jim Carrey that speaks about this. Uh, yeah. Like he talks about his journey about how, uh, you know, he wasn't happy when he attained all of the success that he wanted, and he wished that he wishes everyone would attain the success, just so they could realize that that's not the answer. Because it's one of the hardest things to do. And a friend of mine, I just wanted to quickly share this, sent me a beautiful quote just recently. I hope she'll listen to this podcast. I'm sure she will. About how one of the best ways to attain success is to stop trying to attain success mm. in that the very act of feeling like you don't have something and that you need to achieve this rather than falling in love with what you do being in what's called a paratelic state of consciousness where you're, you're just you're just enjoying what you're doing as opposed to thinking you need to have a certain outcome that's the best state of mind in terms of uh being within a an inner state of peace like in the vedas which is where you get all this knowledge about yoga, Ayurveda, a lot of this ancient teaching that yep. allows you to address the root cause, they speak about attaining this state. In fact, this is what yoga is actually all about. I've been recently learning this, that yoga is actually about attaining that synthesis. Like it's, It basically means linking with God or the source. Mm -hmm. And whereas we practice something known as Hatha yoga or the active form within all of the postures, the asanas, like there are other forms, but like there's the con contemplative yoga. But essentially, it's all about getting you to attain a state where you are not thinking about the outcome and trying to achieve this, but you are at peace with yourself. Yep. So I presume, I think this, this actually links to what you're trying to, actually, I don't know, but yeah. in terms of inner health, you're trying to address the root cause by uh, essentially finding balance. But yeah. I'd like to, love to hear yeah, yeah, you speak a bit more about inner and, health and, and what you actually do. We're getting down to the nitty gritty, which is great, and I appreciate sure. your, your line of questioning. So yeah, just on that, just a comment. So having a sense of lack, like I need more. And if I have that, then I'll, I'll be happier. You know, that's obviously the foolish, you know, state of being, you could say. That's a human experience, right? Which is a human experience. And it is easier to have obviously reached a point where you deem to be, you know, successful in the yeah, eyes yeah. of society. Yeah. And, and once you get there and then you realize, okay, that it wasn't all about that in the first place, but it takes it takes getting there for most people before they have that realization. And so you can tell a million people, you know, it's not worth it, blah blah mm. blah. But at the same time, they're going to go. That's easy for you to say. Exactly. I actually yeah. often feel that way when I hear Russell Brand speaking about how like he's he drowned himself with all these women and so forth, and he's over that. I'm like, and he's just had to. It's not worth it. I'm like, uh, no, I'm gonna. Yeah. You, you live your life. I'm gonna. It's kind of easy to say that when you've had that that life, you've had things that you, most people would dream of, you know? Yeah. But uh, thus is the, uh, you know, I, I guess it's always better to learn from not just your experiences, but the experiences of others. Yeah. And look, I'm not here to tell people how to live their lives, but this is my experience, I guess, sure. to answer that question. But yeah, learning to live with contentment and, and gratitude, it sounds a bit fluffy. And mm. I often would laugh if someone you know, talked about, oh, you got to be mindful and all this sort of stuff. But, sure. But all of that stuff has been, you know, a large part, you know, including meditation, all that sort of stuff. Being able to, and I think this is the hardest thing, mm -hmm. and this is the, the, the greatest test that I should have or wished that I had known about, you know, decades ago. Okay. And, and that was being able to sit with myself. You know, I couldn't for my life sit with myself in silence because there'd be that much noise, mm you know, that much negative talk going on in my head, you know, that was driving me, you know, to, to suppress it. Yeah. And the more of that that I built up, you know, the more substances that I needed, you know, mm. the more behavior, I guess, that I needed to, to sort of quash that, if that makes sense. Absolutely. We've all had moments like that. Yeah. 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 And so issues. basically one of my standard sort of routines is meditating and, you know, I'll meditate between five, 10, up to 20 minutes, 20 minutes twice a day if I can. And I, I do that dependent on how I'm feeling, you know? I've come to realize that we're like spiritual power banks. 
And when our spirit battery, if you want to call it that, goes mm. down, you know, and that's usually because we don't know how to recharge, which is another way of saying don't know how to meet our own needs. Meeting mm. our own needs is about learning how to plug in and charge that spiritual battery. And so what I realized is I'd be clinging to all these things to charge my battery, but they were real temporary solutions. And ultimately, I'd always end up running out, crashing, you know, so a lot of highs and lows. And you see a lot of healthy people who had their needs met as children, whose parents had their needs met and so forth, and who learned how to sort of maintain that sort of stable balance of battery power spiritually, mm. emotionally, physically, all that sort of stuff. And they didn't need to cling to external things to, to recharge. And so, yeah, once I learned how to, to meet those needs of my own, it, it was a game changer. But I couldn't get there until I had addressed a lot of trauma. And, and I think this is the, the next part of answering your question. Root cause therapy helps us basically process undigested trauma from childhood. It could be from adulthood, if there's like PTSD, something like that, some sort of extreme traumatic event has happened. Mm -hmm. But almost everyone has had trauma to some extent in their childhood, usually between zero to seven years of age. And these could be really simple, basic things that as a parent, and I know as a parent of four kids, you may not even be aware of, but at the same time, as a, as a kid, you're very impressionable and we get programmed by our feelings, our stories, etc. And we might tell ourselves that we're not loved or we might feel abandoned or whatever. Mm -hmm. And if those things aren't addressed, you know, and our needs aren't met as kids, we as adults have the responsibility to understand them. And so with mm -hmm. root cause therapy, it's a, it's a discovery process to start with. And we, we use what's called timeline therapy. And so we'll go back in a session. It's a little bit like hypnosis, but not, not, not specifically. Okay. Yeah. And so basically in a session, unlike a psychology session or a counseling session, which is like 45 minutes to an hour, which skims the surface because they don't want to re-traumatize the, the client patient. So with root cause therapy, the big difference is here, we want to take you back to those, those feelings, those undigested, unprocessed emotions, which are usually negative ones. We want you to sit in those feelings and feel it and, 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 and let it actually be experienced properly as opposed to continuing the game of trying to suppress it. Yeah, that's a, that that's, a real, that's a really powerful point. And yes, it makes perfect sense because I think a lot of us, particularly I, I try to take on the attitude of not expressing certain things at all. You know, thinking that if you manifest this, obviously it can have negative consequences. You can lose friends, relationships when you say yeah. the wrong things and so forth. But like a pressure cooker, if you keep it built up within yourself, that's not good for yourself as well. And it no. builds up and expresses as dis-ease within you because you haven't uh, addressed the underlying trauma, you know? So I think Correct. what you're speaking about, it's very cathartic in that it's purging you from all of these issues. Purging is the best way to describe it. Sure. So I've known you for some time and I know that you are very open to trying different things and you definitely, um, you this isn't the first thing that you've gone to to try to address your any issues of addiction that you may have had yep. in the past so why is this better than the other issues sure. is it the root cause like what are your thoughts yeah, in yeah absolutely to absolutely experience and absolutely so modalities let me break work? it down for everyone listening and this is only my opinion i'm not a doctor you know take from it what you will i know what's worked on myself and the clients that i've seen so You've got mainstream psychiatry, very intelligent people who, you know, have studied a long time to, to be where they are. And they're, they're looking at a DSM-5 manual, it's called, which, you know, not that many years ago described homosexuality and masturbation as a mental illness. Okay, so these are the same people we're talking about here. And it's not any one person's fault, but it's the system. You know, society has put lots of labels and, you know, I don't agree with the label of addict or alcoholic just because of the stigma and mental illness is, is, is very similar, you know, and psychiatry is, is very good at labeling people and saying there's something wrong with you according to my diagnosis, which is usually an individual person could be wrong. And that then brands the subconscious or conscious mind of that person with a, a label, which is not going to do them many sure. favors in society, you know, and then they basically aim to, to, to heal them or to cure them or to, to manage their, their symptoms with 
drugs, you know, pharmaceutical drugs. So I'm very much against that. It's another form of medicating and it doesn't heal the issue. Okay. Absolutely. It's, it's band-aiding it, you know, and there's so many people that are on antidepressants and all sorts of antipsychotics and, you know, those drugs in themselves are doing damage. They're, they're, they're dysregulating the, the systems even more. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's my limited opinion. Please Take it as you will, but then you've got psychology, counseling, that sort of stuff. Again, they basically have a very short window of time where they, you know, need to help a client, you know, in a session. And so they're typically skimming the surface. The client is downloading a lot of stuff they want to talk about, but, you know, quite often they're avoiding, and the client themselves or the patient themselves is is carefully avoiding the things that they need to, 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 to focus. There's not sure. a lot of time. And so mm. root cause therapy, like I said, we go to those places that we're avoiding and, and we're specifically looking for them and we know that they're there. We don't believe there's anything wrong with someone. We don't believe in the labels. And we're helping you to, like I said, re-experience those undigested traumas. Okay. And, and so that clears it up. So I tried all of that. I tried psychiatry, psychology, counseling. I didn't go to rehab um, at the same time. You know, for me, I, I needed to find someone who was going to be willing, you know, to take me to the places that I didn't even know exist. So discovering things that I'd pushed down into my subconscious that were there. And it, it takes a brave therapist, practitioner to, to actually go there. And I would go and see a psychiatrist, not that often, but I saw one a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And he he didn't trigger me in any way and so that to me is them avoiding you know finding that root cause of the issue okay and so look some of the things that um that are out there alternatives which i'm not saying i'm for or against but plant medicine is is a big topic these days and so what i will say about plant medicine and yes i have tried it but plant medicine is not something like a silver bullet in itself and so for anyone out there who's considering it, and I'm no expert on it, but at the same time, there's a lot of internal work, which in my opinion, again, is the root cause therapy work. So you can't do just one of those. Sure. Absolutely. The drug, if that makes sense. I just wanted to add my, my 50 cents in regards to this, because I think you cover an important area. The fact that there are many, where is there many modalities for addressing this issue? Yeah. Um, they work on different levels. I think we can have problems with this, obviously, on a physical level. And addiction is not always psychological. They're actual physical addictions. Like, people can have withdrawals, as we're all aware, when they don't get uh, the addictive substance they were taking and so forth. And sometimes physical interventions, as in drugs that have certain chemicals and compounds, can actually be beneficial. That's working on the physical. But there's also a mental, and I believe a spiritual level to this. And I think it's important to note that Sometimes you need to address all these different levels. You know, I personally don't subscribe to one way of doing things. You know, I tend to be very yeah. synthesis when it comes to this kind of stuff. And when it comes to uh, when it comes to m- medicine specifically, worries I've had a lot of apprehension about that because you know, you touched on something that I just want to briefly talk about. And I feel like you can probably you have to be maybe a bit more PC because you're professional. You're in a business. I can speak quite liberally about this. No, no, no. We, uh, I mean, I'm pretty, pretty much covering a lot okay. of stuff that ordinarily you wouldn't put out there. But, and just on that note really quickly. Sure. It's too important for me not to say everything I've got to say on addiction because sure. society has got it so wrong in how it's treating it and it's not getting better. The problem's getting worse. So I put humanity before my own self-interest okay, in this case. Okay, re- respect. Because yeah. I, I was just saying, because the, the default when it comes to the, the medication uh, with... Uh, psychiatric, uh, well, essentially psychiatry, which is the administering of drugs, it has a very checkered past. And at present, just about 100 years ago, they were performing lobotomies. They were, you know, performing electroshock therapy. I'm quite familiar with this because I did a lot of research. I have a brother that, you know, suffers from this, and it's something that's affected people within my life and so forth. Um, I'm well-researched on the topic. And when you have a look at just the history alone, they were doing things that we now look at not even that long ago as being completely insane. And then we have a look at the medication which we're using now, and not to address these as good or bad, but like I think you were saying at some point, they're not addressing the root issue. They're essentially addressing the symptoms. So whereas you'll be taking a lot of these medications that will prevent you from manifesting certain issues and so forth, uh, a lot of the times, and this is from my own experience watching 
family members and so forth. They're just essentially just shutting off people's ability to express themselves and people people become emotionally deadened, not addressing the real issue, which I think is happening on a spiritual level per se, right? Because yeah. we address the physical component, which we're trying to do with medication, then the mental component through psychology, which I'm actually in favor of if you get the right kind of person. But then there's also a spiritual uh, approach to this. And many of the shamanistic societies, uh, um, shamans and so forth, and most of these uh, traditions, they they had certain practices and they use granite, they use plant medicines, but they also combine this with, with practices that were of a spiritual nature in order to address the root issue, which they believe dealt with a spiritual malady. And I might go into that at another time, but at, at this point in time, I want to talk more about inner health, your approach, and you mentioned that it obviously has worked for you. You've tried other things. And first of all, how long has this thing been up and running for? How to perhaps if we can talk about just what made you decide to launch this thing because it's yeah. obviously a big endeavor. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Look, um, it was a couple of years ago that during lockdown in, in COVID that I first launched Project Maximum and was originally on your podcast on, on the launch of Project Maximum, which was around suicide prevention, you know, mental health and addiction. The reason was, you know, my, my older brother, like I mentioned, committed yeah. suicide. Do you want to just step up to get a bit, a bit close to the yeah, microphone sure. so we can yeah, absolutely. Yeah, sweet. Yeah, so my older brother had committed suicide and so I had this strong sort of internal, I don't want to say an obligation, but I had this, this need to want to help and to, to stop the pain. I'd seen a lot of people suffering during lockdowns and COVID and whatnot. And, you know, it was hard on myself and my family and, and, and everyone in general. But I, I just felt like I had attained enough of, let's say, success, money, things like that. And I re was really looking for purpose in my life. And that's a huge part of not falling into addiction is having purpose, having a why, having a reason greater than yourself to... Um, to get up in the morning and so for me i guess i needed that that more i needed to be doing something for people like i needed to be of service and i'd learned so much from my journey and i felt like it'd be criminal for me not to share and so i, I launched project maximum a couple of years ago and you know at that stage i wasn't really ready to kind of just come out fully as much as i need to and be all in with my story and my experience and i realized that that's what was needed i needed to be unafraid of you know, judgment and society's views on the topic because society needs people like me to stand up and talk about our experience, especially if we've come through it. And, um, you know, just since launching last month in a help, basically, you know, I'm inundated with inquiries. I've got people in rehabilitation centers who aren't getting the help that they need, who are contacting us for help, you know. So I, I just knew in my heart that, that I had to do something. And, I, I knew how much I struggled and, and how much, you know, it, it took from me and, and the loved ones around me. And I just, I, I don't know, I just, I needed, I needed to do something. I needed to get it out there, you know, what had helped me. And here we are. Yeah, bro, kudos, man. There's, there's nothing more inspiring to me than seeing someone putting out things like that, you know, that kind of virtue. And I've always seen you as being that kind of guy, you know, you're, you're always helping people out, friends of mine, so you're forth. You're too kind. Yeah, bro, it's bro, I think starting something like this when mental disease, particularly in light of the, just the last few years, a lot of the issues people have been dealing with, really is at the heart of what the world collectively is going through right now. So I think this is really touching on one of the uh, the most important areas of uh of health, mental health and yeah. you mentioned like speaking up about these things. I think a there's still this stigma that it's somehow weak, I think, in order yeah. to to be vulnerable and talk about the fact that you have issues. A lot of guys think there's some some form of like um, weirdness or like femininity, or when I say femininity, not in a negative connotation, they think of that as being unmasculine. It's emasculating yeah. to yeah. say that you have mental disorders. So I find it very emboldening for people like yourself to come out and that have been successful and done X and Y to show that there is nothing, uh, there's nothing wrong with doing that. It, yeah. yeah, it normalizes that kind of yeah, behavior. and look, this is the big issue for anyone and everyone listening. You know, we've all done it. We've all we've all fallen into the trap of society's stigmatization of certain minority groups, and you know, 
this is a huge part of why people aren't recovering from addiction is because of the the hurdle to help, which is the stigmatization, the, just the labels. And that's why I scrap labels for my vocabulary as much as I can. Sometimes there's, you know, lack of a better word, but the label addict, it's a criminal sentence. You know what I mean? You can't put that on your resume, but if you had cancer and you're a cancer survivor, you know what I mean? It's a very different, you know, set of sure. sympathy and empathy that you get. And I'm not Absolutely. saying that um, everyone should be sympathetic towards someone who's got an addiction or whatever, because some sometimes people are, are hurtful and the problems that they're facing, you know, ripple out and, and, and affect other people's lives. I get that. But at the same time, you know, we, we either want to help people or we don't. And I'm about helping people. And I, I see so much suffering. There's obviously the crime aspect and all of that that goes with it that we want to stop, mm-hmm. reduce. But the, the point is, you know, society stigmatizes people with addiction and people are therefore scared to talk out about it. You know, that was a huge fear for me was how would my clients, how would my employees, how would, you know, family, all that sort of stuff, how would they react? Mm. And I knew that many of them would would basically fall into the trap of stigmatizing, which they did, some of them. Mm. Um, not More so family, you know what I mean? Because they, they don't know a better way. And so mental illness addiction being one of them you know all these labels they're not helping you know all they're doing is really putting people in these potholes and it's a barrier for them asking for help because people are too scared to ask for help they're too scared to work on their root causes because you know society kind of shuns that talk like you were saying and so i've had to lead by example you know i've had to put my stuff out there and and not be afraid of the judgment you know but i i don't see addict for life and all these sort of things, mm. you know, I, I, I'd still have an occasional drink and this and that. I'm not, I'm not buying in anymore to a lot of the, I guess, myths that get thrown around. You know, once you heal your trauma, you know, you're just like anyone else who, who, who doesn't have trauma, you know, except you're, you're a wiser, you know, for the, the process and the journey you've gone through. Absolutely. And I think it's really important to at least it's in some way try to define these things because even when you say addict because i'm thinking how how do we even define addict i mean i think there's certain aspects we know that addiction doesn't necessarily relate to the drugs but there's certain there's certain aspects of my life where i do have an addiction too in terms of whether it's um spending too much time on social media or we're, we're all addicts in some yeah, way in, in some way you know and, when i get up i still have coffee in the morning sh- let's say i'm addicted to coffee am i therefore an addict if you want to say so, but at the same time, no one does sure. because most people drink coffee and it's a way of, it's a bit of tall poppy syndrome manifesting. If, if you ask me, you know, people like to sometimes in society feel like their problems are less than others. And, and these sure. labels are ways in which we put people below us and feel better at ourselves. Well, well he, here's the thing. I think when the addiction is around something that we look at collectively as being a negative thing, that's when it becomes an issue. Like yep. most people see alcohol addiction as being a negative thing because they yep. realize that the consequences of that, realistically speaking, can be yep. very pernicious in our society. But they don't necessarily look at something like, I know book reading as being an addiction, right? Yeah. So I guess it comes down to what you're doing, whether or not that's having a negative consequence, which I think is actually a pretty big point, right? Because to be devil's advocate here, mm-hmm. there are a lot of people that don't seem to have a problem with the 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 drugs that they're exposing themselves to, you know? So, yeah. I mean, but we've already established that that's not necessarily the only addiction, right? Yeah. So where is something... I guess the point I'm trying to make here is that... I've got a lot to add when, when you Sure, I, and I'll let you. This, no, is the, no. this is the final point I wanted to make, is that where is you might consider something an addiction, right? To other people, because it's not negatively impacting their life, mm-hmm. they don't consider it an addiction. So I'd love yeah. to see you address that. Yeah, and look, basically, there's another category, codependency. And Which so, I wanted to get into, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so this is a key thing. So when you're codependent, you're addicted to people, relationships, etc., that aren't serving you. And quite often, someone who's in a codependent relationship, and codependents are usually in relationships with someone who has addiction. And quite often someone who has addiction is also codependent. So it, it, it's a very um, unhealthy magnetic relationship. Okay. relationship between the two. And so when someone's in addiction and someone's codependent, what that is is basically one person's addicted to substances and one person's addicted to people. Both aren't serving them. But it's socially acceptable 
to be codependent and addicted to people. There's very under the radar codependency. And so what'll happen is the person who's codependent is scared of being on their own. The person who's got the addiction is scared of being on their own and feeling their feelings, so they're numbing themselves. But at the same time, you know, they're both equally free to walk away from each other, but they both don't want to be alone. That's that's a typical situation of not wanting to sit with yourself. And so a codependent will try to fix someone with an addiction and they'll also mm. enable them. So enabling them, they'll trigger them and they're not helping them, actually making matters worse. And so this can happen in a family dynamic as well. I've seen that. Yeah. So, and, and I'm not blaming anyone, you know, I'm not targeting anyone. But what I am saying though is sometimes the more a parent tries to help a child with addiction, quite often they can actually be doing more damage than good. Yeah. And I'm not saying that they should just kick them out on the street either. What I am saying, if we address the root issue, the root cause of the codependency, the root cause of the addiction, that's how we can resolve that situation. Sure. And so if someone's codependent in a relationship with someone who has an addiction and that person with the addiction to drugs is abusive or doing a lot of things, I, I don't know exactly whatever example we want to use, that codependent partner, they, they, their challenge is they can't leave, even though it's in their best interest not to be in that relationship. And the person with addiction also can't leave. Sure. And that's why they're using drugs, you know? And so... People have a choice to leave any situation. And so me personally, you know, I don't associate with a lot of the people I used to, not because they're bad people, but because the relationships, the friendships, whatever, they weren't serving me or the other people. But, but having the freedom to be able to walk away, you know, you don't have to like everyone or be liked by everyone, you know. But once we become interdependent people, you know, we can recharge our own spiritual battery. We're not dependent on it you know, on substances, we're not dependent on a relationship where we need that person or that thing to top us up. Sure. You know, and so a lot of people that complain about others with addiction are codependent. Not all, you know, if you're just an innocent bystander and someone robbed your house to pay for their drugs, yeah, that's not right, you know, and that's a large reason why people with addiction have hurt others and got such a bad name. Mm. But not everyone goes and robs houses, and I certainly you know, uh, never did that, you know, and whatever. But the, the point I'm trying to make is it doesn't change anything. It doesn't help resolve the matter we've learned by using these labels and blaming people. What we need to do is heal. You know, we need to understand that those people with addiction and the people with codependency, they all have undigested, unprocessed, unresolved trauma, you know, as core wounds, you know, that, that needs to be dealt with. Absolutely. That, that's a topic that very much touches home to me because I can see plenty of situations where I have been an enabler or have, uh, you know, done the opposite. What would that mean? I guess I'm being enabled. But you get the idea, you know? Yeah. And I, I think the difficult thing, particularly if you're a parent, is because there's this tremendous love that you have t towards your, your family or people, anyone for that matter. And out of that love, sometimes the, the result may not be that beneficial particularly if you're someone that is enabling your son or daughter with with money yeah. uh, in order to fuel their 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 habits their addictions yeah. and so forth it happens and all the time absolutely and i guess the the question here is the tough love like knowing whether or not to walk away in this situation and give them that tough love because you are essentially enabling them or you are codependent i'm not sure if that fits the definition but yeah, I guess that would be the tricky thing. Is there a, a, an is, answer to it that? It is tricky, and the opposite, you could say, of codependency would be... Okay, it's a, it's a tough one. Let's, not, let's try not to label it, but let's explain it. So instead of enabling, and you just want to basically be tough and kick someone out of your house, if they're your, your son or your daughter or your partner, that's one way to deal with it. There's no question about that. But the, the better way in my opinion, to deal with it is to have boundaries, okay? And most people with addiction or codependency don't have boundaries. They didn't grow up, and these are the tools and the resources that they didn't learn as children. Usually their parents didn't have boundaries, their grandparents didn't have boundaries. And so there's what's called an enmeshment, you know, between the two people. And basically, they're constantly invading each other's energy and space and privacy and all sorts of stuff, and so it's very toxic. And you know, in order to heal, there needs to be boundary setting. And, mm -hmm. and, and basically, you know, 
I personally wouldn't stay in a relationship these days if my boundaries were continuously broken. But it can be done in a respectful and a nice way, you know. And usually when boundaries are set, you know, it's a lot clearer. But unfortunately, a lot of people just assume that, that the other person knew what their boundaries were without communicating it. Sure. And so, you know, someone who stays in a relationship when their boundaries are continuously being, you know, broken, pushed... That's called self-betrayal. And That's... you've got to take responsibility for that too. Exactly. But most people don't want to take responsibility. They want to blame somebody else for ruining their life or this or that. You know? And so um, this topic is so much deeper than what people realize. And it's so relevant to not just uh, helping yourself on the inner level dealing with addiction, but I'd say in business, in personal development, so many different areas. Because I think the whole area of boundary, se boundary setting is relevant to everything that is going on right now in every aspect of society, you know, and it's an issue that I've spoken about, I've had conversations with, and one thing that I think is very relevant is that, like you spoke about this, like communicating your boundaries, I think one of the issues, particularly with the parent and son, parent-daughter dynamic, yep. is that because the, the dynamics are changing, they're growing, whereas as a child, you obviously have less, essentially you have no boundaries, you listen to your parents, you know, like, Mom, I don't want to get to school today. You will do as I tell you. Ah! You know, but I think it's important as you get older, as you change, because your parents, they still look at you as being this, uh, they tend to look, oh, as this little boy, little girl, you have to listen to me. It's important to to verbalize, like, your, your boundaries and make it clear to them how you feel about things and what you're not willing to tolerate. Because often we just assume that um, someone is okay with something because we've known them to act this particular way when I'd imagine you've gone through stages, we've all gone through stages where we try to consciously change ourselves, things that when we were okay with, we're no longer okay with. Mm -hmm. And because the entire world thinks that we're okay with the things that we were no longer, we're no longer okay with, they treat us in a way, and then when we try to express to them that we're not happy with that, they're like, what are you talking about? I've always done that to you. I've always uh, yeah, disrespectful. Yeah, people, people, you know, and I... I basically said God, mm. goodbye to a lot of friendships as part of my healing, you know, relationships, friendships, because I didn't have any boundaries, but the minute I put some boundaries up, you know, mm. people aren't happy. People are not happy because they're used to crossing over what should have been your boundaries in the first place. And so, you know, if children grow up with boundaries, they learn to put boundaries in place as adults, you know? And again, it's not about blame because... Any parent who had boundaries as a child would pass that on. You know? And so this goes back generationally. That's why it's a societal issue here, not an individual. You know, we, we, we've got to stop blaming the individuals because the individuals are a representation of how healthy or how sick society is. I, I've said in a recent post, um, addiction is the symptom of an already sick society. You know, and that post is almost 300 likes and shared over 110 times you know it's like sure. common knowledge to me but at the same time it's quite new to people to hear it mm -hmm. like that because people haven't been told that and people have including government law enforcement have been targeting individuals you know and there needs to be money spent on a whole another area you know yeah there, there's another quote lose my mind right now that i'm sure a lot of people can be aware of it actually relates to that same thing like it's no um uh, it's no, something to do with sick society, essentially representation of um, the, the society um, to measure. Like it, it deals with the same theme. It'll come to me later. But yeah, essentially we see uh, people representing essentially the, the, the sickness within their society. Uh, I, I think it's, both, it's, it's paradoxical or it works both ways as well because I think it's also individuals, even though they're influenced by it. Whereas this is my own kind of like value personal thing. I think we're all influenced by our our society collectively yep. but i think we also as individuals influence the society mm -hmm. and it's incumbent upon us to realize that where is we're we're essentially hell-bent to the uh, you know forces of our environment and so forth we're also i'm a spiritual person i believe we're conscious beings free wills that free free individuals that have the ability to actually change the the society and so forth and that begins by taking accountability and responsibility because unless, of course, you believe that you can change things, you know, mm. you always say that you're, <clears throat> you're essentially uh, uh, your manifestation of everything you see around yourself, which you are, but you're also more. All we need to help others is to help ourselves, And that 
might sound selfish or self-serving, but it's not, not quite the same meaning. So, you know, for me as a parent, you know, as a friend, as a partner, I don't need to help these other people in my life. I need to be the best version of me. I need to be demonstrating and, and pushing out all the goodness that comes from within me, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. And a lot of parenting, you know, for, for centuries has been about trying to control and change children and fix them and mm. psychiatry, they'll give you the tools to fix little Johnny, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, by taking responsibility, a personal responsibility to work on ourself, you know, as, as people, as partners, as friends, as parents, you know, and if someone isn't serving us or we're not serving them, we, we, we can walk away. We, we can make a choice to do something differently. But at the same time, you know, we're, Historically, as a, as, a, as a society, we're, we're always trying to fix things. And I just want to be really clear. Um, what we do at Inner Help is we're like scaffolding. You know, we're not here to tell you what to do. We're scaffolding to help, you know, spiritually, metaphysically hold someone's hand while they go back into their subconscious and re-experience traumatic stuff that they've been suppressing. You know, so we're that scaffolding because it is hard to do alone. If you could do it on your own, you know, a lot of people out there, they don't do this because there's not someone willing to have that uncomfortable experience of going into their trauma. Sure. You know, the minute I've talked years ago to friends about traumatic stuff, people clam up. They don't want to, they don't want to go there, you know? Mm. And so, you know, that's what we do is we're there for our clients to, to hold space while they go to places that no, no one really wants to go to, you know? And so... It's not about telling people what to do, you know, it's about showing them the way. Sure. Does that make sense? It does make perfect sense. So who is we, like who's involved in this process? I presume you are. Yeah. Is this, Great question. Is this taking place in a group setting, lectures, or is this on an individual basis? What are people looking to experience when they... Yeah, great question. So when I go into this, uh, I head up the addiction side of Inner Help, and so my colleague Rosalind Saunders, who's based in Brisbane, she heads up the codependency side of things, and so we do everything, you know, through video conference call, and usually a session could be as little as ninety minutes, but up to three hours, and you know, I know that's unorthodox, but at the same time, we, you know, that's how that's how it helped me, you know. Okay. And. Yeah, basically, in this day and age, video video conferencing is state of the art. And so, you know, it's it, it, it's a bit hard for some people who may want to have a in-person, face-to-face appointment. Mm. But at the same time, it's also easier to tap into your trauma remotely. I don't know if you've ever found that. Going no. into a cold... Oh. A cold office, you know, oh, oh, meeting someone. 100%, 100%, it's, it's a lot harder for oh. someone in that environment to actually open up. Whereas when you've got the, the, the distance between yeah. you, you know, and it's done remote, you know, I found that that was actually a lot easier. And yeah. I enjoyed that aspect of COVID as well. I found going to meetings online was actually a lot more comfortable. You know? Shoot, that, this just on a side note, that's very true. But I think yeah. the, the downside of that is that it's very, it's a lot easier from my experience to be impersonal and say things that you typically wouldn't say face to face, whether it's through text or even through video. When the closer you get to someone, when you have to experience the visceral, when you know, for instance, someone might uh, react in a harsh way, become violent. People tend to be better mannered, but and I say this because social media has become this place where people are so quick to throw uh, verbal abuse or say things that they not be tactful, not be compassionate in their understanding because they don't feel any repercussion yeah. from it. So whereas I agree, right? People can people perhaps feel more obliged to open up, probably because they feel as if there's nothing they're not going to have any anything to to answer for because it's not face to face, you know, perhaps. But I also feel with that it comes this tendency. Perhaps it's better for therapy in order to be in a video conference, but in terms of people interacting and expressing, I always feel that you're losing something unless, of course, it's face to face. That's why. I've been trying to do the podcast in a more kind of like business yeah, no, setting no, lately. Look, I, I, I get it. I get it. At the same time, you know, our inquiries and we're inundated with inquiries sure. for, for like the advertising we've been doing recently. And the, Reach a lot more post. people, right? Yeah. yeah. So the people that need healing are all over the country, well, all over exactly. the world. You know, 
that would be just unfair mm. to say, sorry, we only do it in, pers- in person 100%. meetings, you know what I mean? And yeah. so I want to be there for anyone, wherever they are in the world, you know what I mean? Mm. At a, an agreed time zone to, to, to support them. You know, I would hate to think, I would hate to think that someone needed our help and sure. because of that barrier, You're physical fa- barrier, you know what I mean? Absolutely. You're familiar with Anthony Robbins, no doubt. Uh, he, he spoke about how during the lockdowns he had this massive uh, tour or something that he was going to do, wasn't able to do it. So he found a way of doing that online. Was he able to yeah. create like a, one of the bi- like a tremendous uh, online conference where I can't remember the figure, but it was ridiculous, you know? Yeah. And the point is you can reach a lot more people online. I'm find, finding that at the moment. I've been using TikTok, you know, I'm reaching more people I've ever reached before. Uh, I think it reminds me of this African proverb, though, that if you um, – like in the same set context that if you want to go far, you go in a group. You know, if you want to go um, fast, you go alone. If you want to reach more people, you have to use this medium of social of social media and so forth. You can reach a lot more people. But yeah. I think, at least I feel, I could be wrong, that if you want to have like a, a more intimate, personal conversation with someone, yeah. you need to give them a more um, intimate, personal um, uh, environment. Um, and it's so yeah. it, But obviously, for what I think you're doing here, it's perfect to use the the power of technology to absolutely absolutely and look i was apprehensive about the whole concept of video conferencing but after experiencing therapy in my early days you know i was very very quick to realize that this is actually more comfortable you know i felt more comfortable in the space of my own home talking to someone with a Mm. video video is important just doing it by phone i agree sure i can see you don't have that but but when you can look in someone's eyes you know and there is a spiritual connection between all of us, in my opinion, you know, and even if someone's not in the same room as you, if you're, if you're holding space for them, you, you, you can connect with them, you know? That's a good point. Strangely, I haven't we heard that We are all one, connected. Absolutely. Yeah. And th- there is something like when you are actually, yeah, connected even through the internet. I mean, we, it's, it gives you uh, an anchor point in which to like, express your emotions and feel connected to that person when it's real time. Yeah. So, yeah we think we're losing something, but perhaps um, the reality is where we're not, you know? Yeah, I mean, a lot of what we're doing is is obviously verbal, but at the same time, a lot of the work of feeling goes on to the, the, the client. We don't use the word patient. Or we, we, we say client, but so the client is the one doing the feeling. And so they can be anywhere as long as they follow our guidance, you know what I mean? Um, but yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, um, bro, I, I look forward to seeing this thing flourish and develop. You know, you mentioned you've been doing this for a few months now, and uh, I, you're obviously being inundated with calls, and I'm, I have no doubt it's going to really be beneficial, particularly given everything that's, that's going on right now. I think people are really uh, needing, uh, needing inner help. So, um, Adam, I wanted to keep this around an hour. I think we're, uh, we're reaching the hour point, but... Um, is there anything else you wanted to mention just in regards to, uh, well, first of all, how to, how to get in contact with people. i got the website up here. It's innerhelp.com.au. I'll put all the links down on this video. Um, are, are you on social media? Yeah, so Instagram, Facebook, it is innerhelpnow, so at innerhelpnow. Um, 1-800-841-890 is our 1-800 number. Um, but yeah, basically, we provide a free 30-minute consultation where we'll discuss your individual situation and then determine what what sort of plan, how many sessions we think, etc. Answer any questions. But yeah, look, I'm I'm here to help as many people as I can with addiction. I said two years ago when I started Project Maximum, I wanted to be the loudest voice in Australia on the topic of addiction. It's taken some time to get the momentum, and it's early days, but at the same time. I have this fire burning inside me to help as many people as possible. And um, yeah, please, if you are struggling, you know, even if you're not yet ready to, I guess, acknowledge it, just just be okay with it somehow or, or just slowly work towards asking for help. Um, we're available to talk seven days a week between 8 a.m. and 6 p.m. So it's, yeah, it's up to you. Awesome. Adam, my brother, you are scholar you're a gentleman and you are a very philanthropic person i appreciate the work that you're putting out there I, you know it's, it's an honor to have someone like yourself in my space that really is trying to um create a beneficent force in the in the universe you know so kudos to you brother Thanks and look for forward me. to uh, yeah to hearing more of that inner, inner health inner inner health i said inner health there but it's kind of like yeah 
that's like health, the it's probiotics yeah. or something. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, Freudian, you know, you're, he- you're getting at the health of, uh, yeah. All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, freaks and geeks, there you have it. Adam Duque, inner help. Until next time, freaks and geeks, be sure to uh, remember there are three things that cannot remain hidden for long, the sun, the moon, and the truth. Share this video. Tell your mom, tell your friends. Check out Inner Health. Until next time, peace out. Keep it real. Ow! You won't work it. Don't break the press. You won't make it.